Rio Rancho Radio, 92.9. We are brought to you this morning by TJ's Evergreen Herbal Market on Deborah Road in Rio Rancho and by Pam Harris's Pea Quail Realty on Southern in Rio Rancho. It is time to find out what is going on in the City of Vision with our Mayor, Greg Hull. Good morning, Mayor. Well, good morning, Derek, and good morning, everybody out there. Thank you again for joining us on a Sunday morning. And I'll tell you what, it's uh, never a slow time in the City of Rio Rancho. That's why I love doing this show, so we can, you know, it's we kind of listen to the issues of the week. And then we, we get the opportunity to kind of talk them out here and create a show that gives us something that we can point back to when people have a question about stuff. So I love it when we get the opportunity to kind of, you know, parse out an issue, right, when it comes to stuff. So this week we've got a couple of uh, well, issues. You got an email. We do have a listener question, but I just want to mention before we get to that from the home show last week and the chili cook-off. Yes. I mentioned it on Sunday when we were broadcasting from the home show. But I want to get your thoughts on the chili cook-off. You came out two out of three, so... Uh. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's just say that fire took first place. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and all the vo- the voting was very, very close. So, yeah. Rio Fire, Captain Mallory took the trophy. And her picture's up there on my Facebook page. And I want to say thank you to Arian and Mallory for participating in that fun event. But, yeah, we were out at the home show. And they cooked their own chili right Mm -hmm. and i was impressed with aaron because he brought cornbread and everything oh wow yeah Yeah, when you got your little cup of chili he put a little wedge of cornbread in there Mm -hmm. and man he was going to town and then mallory had chips she was putting hers mine had shredded cheese and sour cream and so (laughs) that sounds (laughs) really good so we were doing this and by the way I'm going to be giving a cooking show at the Metal Ark Senior Center. I'll have to get you the date where we're going to talk about how I cooked my chili. We're going to be having that cooking demonstration Monday, March 13th at the Metal Ark Senior Center. And we're going to show everybody how I make my famous Texas style chili with no beans. So, mm. yeah, so it should be real good. I enjoy doing that in the community. And so I did the cheesecake recipe at the last time and I did that at the Broadmoor Senior Center. Right. So this one's going to be at the Metal Arc Senior Center. So if you want to come over and join us there, that's going to be March 13th, one thirty to 3.30 p.m. Emery over there, who is kind of the activities guy, does the cooking shows as well and he shows his recipes and he invites people in to kind of share their cooking techniques and so on and so forth so this is a really cool opportunity to check out all the activities at the senior center now i turned 55 a year and a half ago so i actually qualify to be a member of the senior center now so i didn't like it when i turned 50 i mean on my birthday i get the mail and and then go get the mail and my very first AARP notification yes. is in there. And I mean, they had it, they had it in the mailbox on my birthday. So well, they, yeah, they got you down, but yeah. So, so we're going to be over there and it should be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I always have great fun when I'm working with these different groups in the community and whatever we can do to just continue to be part of the community and build that community spirit. So I do love that. But yes, the chili cook-off at the uh, Rio Rancho Home Show was a tremendous success. I do want to point out, Derek, that we raised over $750 for the 1082 Foundation. This was what we were originally doing this for, was to raise money for the 1082 Foundation. And this is an organization that raises money to help first responders and first responders' families 
in cases where perhaps the first responder has paid that ultimate price and been killed in the line of duty or has gone through a very traumatic situation and they just need some financial help. So the 1082 Foundation is an amazing foundation. And if you don't know about them, you can certainly go out to their website, check them out. Just Google 1082 Foundation in New Mexico and their information will come up. But raise $750 for a good cause. And what we learned was we didn't make enough chili. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) We ran out way too fast. Each of us cooked between three and four gallons. So you could have actually made more money had you had the chili. Correct. For us to taste. Correct. uh, There was a line and then we had to disappoint everybody and say, I'm sorry, we're out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was set up right across from you and I could see people wanting to taste the chili. The odor was drawing everybody in, right? It was, yeah, Yeah. it was really start. I were dying because it was smelled so good. Oh, it did. It did. Well, we had to serve it and didn't get to eat. Oh. Because there was none left over. Right. Now, as you mentioned, we did have a question emailed to us. And it says, for your awareness, please follow up on your Sunday show. The article in the Rio Rancho Observer that what is in our water? And they're concerned about uh, Rio Rancho water. So tell us about Rio Rancho water. You've seen the article. I have. And first off, let me just say this, is that if you read the disclaimer in the Rio Rancho Observer, it says that the content specifically states that the content published is not fact-checked or endorsed by the observer. So anybody can just kind of put whatever they want in the observer, write it. And if it's what they're thinking, they can put it in there. There's no fact-checking to this. So what we want to do today is put a little bit of factual information behind what was written there. And so, number one, there was quite a bit of incorrect information and misinformation regarding staff follow-up. They said that nobody answered his questions, but in the paragraph just before that, he said, I wrote emails and staff did email him back. They've had this question and they've gone through this whole idea of what are these total dissolved solids that could be in the water. So, number one, let me just kind of put a couple things into contextual without beating up on the letter writer too hard. Let's just get to... Where can we find factual information about water quality in Rio Rancho? So first off, I want to point everybody to the Rio Rancho required reporting documents, which are published every year online on the city's website. So if you go to our water quality reports, which are on the city's website, and you can find those at rrnm.gov forward slash 1525 forward slash water-quality-reports. Now, we're going to post this link on KDSK's Facebook page so that you can go out and just click on that link and go out there. And what you're going to find is all the water quality reports from 2009 to 2021. And what was being talked about in specific here is what was the total dissolved solids? What are some of the things that show up in your water when it evaporates? Some of the things that are left behind, whether that's calcium, that could be silica, And these are things that are called total dissolved solids. And there is no required testing for total dissolved solids because it's comprised of such things as minerals and salts, which don't pose a health hazard. Okay, so there's no requirement to test for them. There are certain recommendations that we treat to certain levels, which we do the treatment there. And could you get varying different readings from one house to another, depending on what an individual is doing at their house? Sure you could. 
we test the bigger system. Do we have a test that says every little thing is this, that, or the other? No, because once again, what we're dealing with is salt and silica, which is sand, because we're pumping groundwater. We pump all of our water from the aquifer, and when water interfaces with ground minerals, we pump it up. There are a few things that we are required to test for and clean from the water. Who requires this? Well, that would be the EPA and the state. So there are two different agencies that require these reports and they require these tests. And as a matter of fact, Rio Rancho has an extremely massive, if you've, have you ever driven down Northern Boulevard and you're kind of, oh, not too far from where the dump is there, where the waste management landfill site Mm -hmm. is, there's this big old gated facility over there on the south side of Northern, and it looks like Fort Knox. Yes. That is an arsenic treatment facility. So with the wells that we have that produce arsenic, we have to run them through that facility to clean that arsenic out. And there is a federal requirement that we get that arsenic down to a maximum, a maximum number of 10 parts per billion. Okay, 10 parts per billion. So we have to clean that water. Now, there's a couple different ways that we can do that to get to that number or under that number. Some of our wells produce no arsenic. Some produce higher levels. So we take the water over there, and what you'll do is you run it through there and clean it out, and then you use a well that has no arsenic in it. And once you get the one well down to a certain level, you can actually take the two waters and blend them and dilute it down to get it down to under the EPA requirements for arsenic contaminants. And so, I, I, you know, I'm going to kind of walk through one of the reports here. I'm looking at the 2021 Consumer Confidence Report. The 2022 report has not been published yet, but this is a report that we mail out to all the water customers in the city. You've probably seen this come in the mail. It's a very colorful brochure, and as you look through it, it starts off with how is my water treated? And so it goes through how the water is treated, and you can look at this. Rio Rancho Pure is the program where it's New Mexico's first water purification and aquifer storage project. This is a project I've been very proud of. It's our aquifer injection project. And this past year, we were able to put back into the aquifer 74.6 million gallons of water back into the aquifer. It's after we clean it, purify it, put it back. And that was from January to December 2021. And we get to use that for future use. There's also a message here from me personally. We want to make sure that everybody gets involved. And then, of course, in this report, it goes through a lot of things. Definitions that are used in the water quality report. Well, one of the things that you'll see is an MCL. That's the maximum contaminant level. And that's the highest level of contaminant that is allowed in drinking water. MCLs are set as close to the MCLGs as feasible using the best available technology treatment. And then the MCGL is the maximum contaminant level goal. And so you'll go in here and we've got all of these various different acronyms that you'll find in the report. And so as you go through the report, it talks about how we discharge water to the river through the Harvey Jones discharge program, the Harvey Jones bias well project that's out there. And then There's actually a page on here. Why are there contaminants in my drinking water? Drinking water, including bottled water, may reasonably be expected to contain at least small amounts of some contaminants. The presence of contaminants does not necessarily indicate that the water 
poses a health risk. More information about contaminants and potential health effects can be obtained by calling the Environmental Protection Agency or the EPA Safe Drinking Water Hotline at 800-426-4791. See, all this information is right in this report. So not only are we reporting it, we're giving you access and showing you where you can go to find this information and make sure that what you're reading, you can understand it. So this also goes through contaminants that may be present in the source water before treatments. There could be microbial contaminants such as viruses and bacteria, which may come from wildlife, septic systems, sewage treatment plants. I mean, stuff like that. Before it's treated. Before it's treated. Before it gets to my faucet. Correct. Yes, absolutely. So this goes in to all the things that we're looking for. You could find pesticides, herbicides. You could find different things, organic chemical contaminants. You can find naturally occurring things such as arsenic. That's the big one. Why do we have an arsenic treatment facility? All of these things have to be tested for. But every three years, the city is required to test for lead and copper from the tap of homes of a certain age range. So we actually go out to homes. So the water could be clean, but you could have issues in the pipes that were put in a long time ago before standards were set. Correct. And this tells you what the maximum contaminant level or the MCL is in each of these. So you look at the different items here as it pertains to these things. Some of the other things that we test for is arsenic, barium, chromium, fluoride, nitrate. Mm. So those are some of the things that we look for. This is all in this water quality report, and this will tell you what we found and how we're dealing with it. So this is why we do a lot of different things. This report also tells you how to conserve water, and it tells you how the city is doing as it pertains to conserving water. And amazingly enough, in 2007, you will see that it was 87.38 million gallons of use. And over the years, we've gotten that down to 62 million, even though the population has grown. So our water conservation efforts are really doing a good job. Now, you saw a spiking use in 2020. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's home, home. right? <laughs> everybody's home. So COVID uh, yeah, pandemic. Yeah. If you watch it, it went you know 20, 2017 to 2018 to 2019. There was just a slight decrease. Then there was a spike in 2020, and then in 2021, we actually went back down to at an amount lower than the 2019 number. So we got back on track, yeah. right? So when it comes to these different things, we have to be real careful because, number one, we use very sophisticated testing systems. Is this the city testing it or do you have a company come in and do it? Well, both. Because we have audits. We have a company that helps us operate the system, Jacobs Engineering, which Mm -hmm. actually helps us run the entire utility. They randomly test wells. They randomly test locations, constantly looking for different anomalies that might be in the water because it's the number one priority that we're looking for. So when we look at these things, as much as I'd like to say, okay, you could go and buy a home test and figure out what's in there. That's not a picture of the the bigger picture here of when we're dealing with millions of gallons of water on a daily basis that's being pumped, cleaned, and delivered out to the citizens of Rio Rancho. Are you going to come up with varying numbers from home to home? Yeah, it's possible. Total dissolved solids, once again, when you look at those, those can be different things, but it's been acknowledged that there is no testing requirement because these are things that do not pose a health hazard. So I think that's the number one thing that you can look at. 
we were talking before the show about when you run your dishwasher and you put it on the heated drying mode, right? And you might find solids stuck to the side of the glass were mm-hmm. built up in the bottom because you evaporated that water and whatever was in that water that had a solid to it is now in the bottom of the dishwasher, right? Or stuck to the side of the glass. Right. There's different things that you're going to look for, but the main things that we want people to look for is number one, go to a reliable source of information. We're going to post this web link out on the KDSK's page. I also gave it to you guys when I first came on here, which is rrnm.gov forward slash 1525 forward slash water dash quality dash reports. If you didn't get that, you can play this back a little bit later from the podcast. That's true. <laughs> so <laughs> Lots of so ways to find If you didn't that. get a chance yeah. to write that down, this will get uploaded to the podcast. Greg Hull, Maravere Rancho, and Spotify. You can go out and play it there. It's a free listen. But in this particular case, we want you to follow the water quality reports because these are the EPA-required reports. Have you ever had a guy show up to your house and he took a little sample of water and then put a couple of drops of chemicals in there and shook it up and it turned yellow or green or blue and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, you've got really hard water. Mm-hmm. You're going to need a water, water softener. softener yeah. <laughs> okay. So I don't know one home test from another, but I do know that we run a municipal water system and the municipal water system has to deliver water to over 36,000 customers. When you think about the total number of homes that are in the city of Rio Rancho. And the best way to get the information is to go out to the city's water quality report, look at that. And then if you have questions, you can either call city officials or you can call that number for the EPA information line. So if you want to find out what these reports say and talk to somebody disassociated with the city, well, then call the EPA on that hotline that's right there that you can call Mm -hmm. and say, hey, these are the things that are coming up in this report. What say you? Right. Yeah. But the best way to to figure this out is read the reports. They're right there online. Everything from 2009 to 2021 is right there. And I'm sure we'll be posting the 2022 report very soon. And that one will be online as well. And we want you to go out and we want you to see it so you can figure it out. While you're here on this particular page, you'll also see that there's a customer service link, a leaks link, new construction link, private well program, water quality reports, and water use data, wastewater complaints, and uh, watering restrictions. So there's a whole resource page right here that you can come out and take a look at. The city's website has so much stuff, and if you can't find this page, just go up into the search bar and type in water quality reports. I know the page will come up for you. So just overall, if you read the article in The Observer and got concerned... Because, you know, water is an important thing. Yes. But there's really no need for concern once you look at Correct. the site you just gave us, the link you just gave us. Correct. Our water is okay. Our water is very safe. Okay. So, and it yes, it, it's going to vary from community to community because we have several different wells right. out there that are pumping from different areas. One of the big questions I think a lot of people ask is, where does the arsenic come from? Well, it's naturally occurring because if you look to the west, you see some interesting configurations on the, on the yes. horizon. <laughs> Those are called volcanoes. Yeah. Mount, <laughs> so, Mount Taylor yeah. is well, a no, volcano. No. You're right. Mount Taylor is a volcano, but we have four little ones right. on the west uh, on the oh, west yeah. mesa over there, mm-hmm. right? So we literally pump our water from an aquifer that interacts with ancient volcanic activity. Yeah, but if you ever drive by Grants and you look out and you see all that black stuff on either side of I-40, that's lava. It's lava. Yeah. 
They call if it Malpai, but if, it's lava. If you've ever flown over, you can see the lava flows oh, from yeah. the airplane as you go over Grants. When, mm-hmm. Whenever I fly to Phoenix or Las Vegas, you look down, and I love flying over Grants, and I know I'm over Grants. Yes, you can see the lava, yeah. <laughs> because you can see the lava flows from, uh, from high up. It's impressive to look at. And I will tell you, I love looking at the landscape between Albuquerque and Phoenix or Albuquerque and Las Vegas because it's such an amazing landscape from the sky, and you're looking down, and you go... Man, I, I wonder where exactly that is, and I'd love to like Jeep out there and yeah. check it out, right? Yeah, but, well, it's like those mesas around between Grants and Gallup, and they're flat on top. You could land an airplane up there. You yeah. wonder, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, yeah. That's the, I'm assuming water at one time sure. was underwater, and it did that. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for updating us on that. And then in Rio Rancho, you know, I bought a house, but I have neighbors on each side. But I looked at several houses that had an empty lot on one side. And that's desirable to not have a neighbor right next to you. If I buy a house and there's an empty lot next door and I don't buy the empty lot, what are my rights if somebody builds a house there and even maybe even blocks my view of the Sandia Mountains? Well, unless you bought the lot, there are none. Because in Rio Rancho, while there are spectacular views all over the city, that is one of the risks. When you buy a lot and you buy next door to a vacant lot, depending on what that lot is zoned or how it's zoned, you're not going to have a lot of controls over how that lot develops out. So, for example, you build a one-story house and your neighbor comes in and builds a two-story house. Mm -hmm. And you go, wow, he just put that house between me and my view. Well, now it's his view. So (laughs) So there's no recourse. No, no, there's really not. Now, there are builders that will sell you an up premium. They will put a premium on a house because it's built in an area of the development that has really great views problem with this is is that if it backs up to open space there is probably a 100 percent chance that that property behind your house is owned by somebody else okay it's not just open space and it does you know just belongs to nobody not owned by the state or the federal government well in some areas of town You could run into that mostly up around city center where there's state land parcels. Mm. But when you look at everything, let's say from northern, south, up and around Enchanted Hills, the state land parcels are where City Hall is and the state land parcels are where Cleveland High School is. Oh, right. So those are where those two state land parcels are. And there's another one up in the north end of the city called Loma Barbone, and that's where the National Cemetery was being looked at. Oh, right, right. We talked about that last week. Yeah, we talked about that last week that they decided not to bid on that land because they had to bid on it from the state land office. Yeah. So in this particular case, if you're looking at a piece of property, let's say somewhere along Northern Boulevard and it's a half acre, or better yet, let's talk about where you bought that piece of property where your cell tower is. Well, that's along. I mean, your, your radio tower. Yeah, well, that is along Northern Boulevard near the waste management site. Correct. Yeah. So there's a lot of vacant lots around there. Yeah. But- you can't build a house in there. It's not because, zoned residential. Because it's not zoned residential. Um, that's primarily zoned in there. But there are some, believe it or not, if you move a little bit closer over to Rio Rancho Middle School along Loma, Colorado, there's a lot of what's known as R1 lots, had these half acre lots mm-hmm. that run alongside Loma, Colorado. So you could build a house there. And if it's R1 in Rio Rancho, you could just put a mobile home on it. You don't have to get permission. You have to have a garage though. You do have to build a garage, yes. And you have to get a mobile home permit, and it has to be set down on what's known as a mobile home foundation or kind of a permanent foundation. And that permit is issued by the state. That's not even issued by the city. So you go to the mobile home permitting office at the state to get that permit, and then you come in, 
And really, the only thing that's required by the city of Rio Rancho is you have to submit a site plan prior to setting the mobile home that shows where you're going to put at least a single car garage or a two car garage. It might be a two car garage. Don't quote me on that. But you have to put a site plan. And then from the day that the mobile home is placed on the property, the garage has to be built within one year. So there's different conditions like that. So if you have R1 zoning out there with all those half acre lots, there's an area called Unit 17 where it's all dirt roads. And that's mm-hmm. across the street from River's Edge, one, right. two, and three, right? right? That's There's a lot of big, expensive homes in there. Yeah, custom homes up there. Very, yeah. very much so. Well, all those R1 lots up in there, you can put a mobile home in there. You could go in right next door to this house or that house, right? It depends on how it's zoned. So really, when you're looking at building a house, the best thing to do is you need to look at if there are vacant lots around you or you back up to a vacant lot or if there's a vacant property within a mile of you. You should probably look at what that is because in Rio Rancho. What could be built there? What could be built there? Because we have to get past this idea that vacant lots in Rio Rancho are open space. They are not open space. They are not zoned open space. We actually have zoning called open space. Right. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. so, so we actually have open space zoning. For example, the 65 acres that's being developed between Rust Medical Center and Cabazon, that was all mixed-use commercial. And so now it's being developed as mixed-use commercial. And that's the way that that'll be developed out. And then you have to go and look at the planning and zoning. Once again, you can go out, and this is Chapter 154 of the Zoning Code, on the city's website. So if you go to the city's website, put in chapter 154, a link will come up and you can go out there and you can look at all the zoning designations of a particular parcel. If you want to know how a piece of property is zoned, there's actually a GIS system on the city's website. And to get to that, you go into, once again, the search bar, just type in GIS And you'll see a GIS link come up and you can look in there and you can actually turn on the zoning and see how these parcels are zoned. So we got it it puts up a little map and then you can Mm -hmm. click on on the individual parcels. Interesting. We've got people building homes left and right. And so what I caution you is whether you're buying from a real estate agent or from a builder that when you're standing on the property, ask the question, What's the zoning on the properties out there around me, especially if you're out in these areas? Because we do run into this where we've built some neighborhoods and we actually had this on a zoning issue this past week. And you remember what we went through with the site plan and we did a whole show on the site plan for the car wash. Mm -hmm. The governing body really doesn't have the authority to turn that down. If you're building in compliance with zoning, when you purchased your lot, you bought those rights they're actually called entitlements. Okay. So they're actually valuable listings within the uses of that property. If you could go out and say you wanted to build a business, when you looked for the property to put your radio tower, you didn't go around and look for an, our residential one property to put a radio tower on. You went around and looked at an, an M1 property because if it was zoned M1, that entitlement was already in the property. So really all you have to do at that point is take your site plan to the city, they issue the permit, and you go. Right. I never even considered asking the city to change the zoning in an R1 area. But there was some C1 that I was told the city would consider. Correct. Doesn't mean I'd get it. Right. But you want to know that before you buy it. You do. And a lot of people put in applications before they buy properties if they think they need to rezone it. And you're correct, is that sometimes you can ask for a variance on a C1 to add an additional use 
or a C2 or an M1 manufacturing mm-hmm. or an O1 office. These are the different zoning classifications that you will find in Chapter 154 of the city's zoning code. I just remind everybody, these zoning designations have been in place for a long time. But it is your right as a citizen and as a landowner that if you want to develop your property in a certain way, you do have the right to come and petition the city, ask the city for a zone change. And now you have to write a narrative as to why you think that fits. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's no narrative you could possibly write that if you're in the middle of a residential neighborhood and let's say you bought that property and you decided I'm going to bulldoze the house on a residential property and build a gas station right there. And so you look at these different circumstances, but I point this out because we have neighborhoods that start getting established. People move in, generally folks that are new to the city. Mm-hmm. They've not really looked into all this open space that's out there because it's it's really not open space. While there's nothing built on it, the term we use is undeveloped. Yeah. We've had this situation pop up quite a few times is somebody came in and bought a home and then they found out that the land behind them, something was going to be built there that they didn't like. And they said, oh, whoa, 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 we don't want that there. If you own that property, Derek, and, and it's zoned and you're going to put your radio tower there, let's just say, mm-hmm. there's really no reason for us to stop you from doing it because that entitlement is in that property. It's just the person got to the house before you put up your tower, sure. right? So you own the property. You've always expected to put a tower there. It's zoned for a tower. So you're going to put a tower there. And so the the city of Rio Rancho, no matter who the mayor is, no matter who the city council is, would have to come up with a legal reason to deny you that property right. These are constitutional issues. I will say that when you're looking at these various different properties, really what needs to happen is when you look at them, definitely before you buy, look at the properties that are around you. Because if there is zoning in an area, just because you bought a house there doesn't mean that now we get to deny this person their property rights, right? So unfortunately, if the zoning was there, and one of the things that I tell people that you really want to look for is, for example, R6 zoning, okay? So R6 zoning in an area, that's apartment complexes, okay? And let's just talk about some of the zoning that's out there. So R1 is a single-family residential district, and that's for a single-family detached. If I can put this into comparison, an R1 area is like the original Rio Rancho Estates. Half-acre lot, Mm -hmm. one house, maybe a casita in the back, which, by the way, a lot of people don't realize this, but Rio Rancho, and I know Eddie Real keeps telling me, Mary, you got to promote this, you got to promote this, because Albuquerque doesn't do this. In Rio Rancho, we actually allow you to have casitas on your property. So if your property is big enough to build it and you follow the guidelines, there are some guidelines, okay, that you have to follow. It can only be a certain amount of square footage. It's got to be out of the setbacks. You've got to be careful. And certain you do distance have from the property line. Correct. So, on, yeah. so you've got to follow the rules. So don't say, well, the mayor said on the radio show we could have a casita, <laughs> yeah. right, and just go build one. No, you have to pull a permit, you have to do a site plan and all that stuff. You have to make sure that it fits. So R1 is probably the biggest single-family residential lot. R2 gets a little bit smaller. Then you get into R3, which is mixed residential district, and this could be different types of residential. But R6 is the big one. That's multifamily, which means apartment complexes. There are properties in Rio Rancho that are zoned R6. And as we develop some of the transitional zoning. There's different zoning out there. Transitional zoning, if you don't know what that is, 
that means that it really hasn't even been zoned yet. And it hasn't been decided what is the zoning going to be here. And we would put in a master plan and try to look at what the best layout for zoning. And we would try to put a blend of R1, R2, R6 to make sure that we've got a diversity of housing in an area as we bring those lots online or bring that land online. But I'll just give you a quick example. Permissive uses under R6 You can do one single-family dwelling per lot. You can do single-family attached or detached dwellings. You can do multifamily dwellings, units for sale or for rent that are attached or that are allowed. Duplex, triplex, something like that. Sure, sure. Well, and then the density on that is 50 dwelling units per acre. So how do you get 50 dwelling units per acre? Got to go up. You go up. Yeah. Correct. And so multiple family dwellings, units for sale or rent, they're allowed up to a density, once again, of 50 dwelling units per acre, senior transitional care or living facilities, boarding and lodging houses, townhomes, patio homes, similar developments, accessory building structures, accessory living space. Once again, that would be your casitas. The non-commercial gardens, swimming pools, tennis courts, and greenhouses are allowed on R6. Parks, open space, recreational parks, home occupations, Construction trailers for the time that things are being built, family child care facilities, second kitchen. That's where the casita comes in is here in Rio Rancho. We allow for that second kitchen. That's a big oh. one. You can build a living quarters off the back, but if it doesn't have a second kitchen, it's not technically a casita, right? Ah, that's true. You so got to be able to cook. You can also put churches or places of worship on the R6. You can put up an amateur radio antenna. You can do public utilities, accessory dwelling units, and Conditional uses that require a a use permit, hospitals and private institutions of an educational nature, family child care, hobby breeders, community residential care facilities. So what you really need to do, all of these are listed on the city's website. So this is not top secret information that you don't have access to. You can go in and look at each of these and you and I before the show You were looking at a piece of property and you were told that it had a functionality that when we looked it up, doesn't appear to have that functionality. You don't appear to be able to do what you wanted to do with its current zoning. So if you were very interested in that property, you would have to apply for a zone change. And then what that would do is when you apply for that zone change and you say, you know what, I want to see if I can get the zone change on this or if I can get a variance to add what I want to do on that property, just that one single use. Well, As part of your application, you have to pay to mail everybody that's within 100 feet of that property. Okay. Okay. And you have to. So that is a time when a homeowner or business owner, people in the neighborhood of your piece of land can have a decision making process. So when you go before the planning and zoning board and you make your case why they should allow you this variance, Anybody that is going to protest that variance can show up and argue against you. Mm -hmm. Okay. You would have to mail those people and do a certified mailing. Okay. And so you do your certified mailing and then 45 days prior to the hearing, I think is the exact date. You have to put a big yellow sign right in the front of that property that says you're applying for a zone change or a variance of some sort putting the public on notice and you have to publish it in the paper. Okay. (laughs) So there's quite a few steps here that you have to go through to make sure you're notifying the public of what it is you're trying to do here because you're changing the use of the property that could impact the people around you. Right now, 
in a lot of the open areas that have been undeveloped at this point, a lot of these things happen on a day-to-day basis and nobody even pays attention to them. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's out in the middle of the nowhere. Yeah, Who cares? cares? Yeah. Right. And the 100-foot radius, sometimes there's nobody to mail. Right. Because there's nobody around you, right? Well, so, I guess the landowners, you'd have to go find the people that own the empty lots. Well, you can mail to the owners of record, and you mm-hmm. would have to get those from Sandoval County. So those are the different things that you have to do. But I encourage anybody that if you back up to undeveloped area or what you think is open space, some areas you'll probably never see developed. I mean, you can look at them and reasonably say, okay, that's probably never going to be developed. For example, if you're out on the north side of Northern Meadows, you see the power lines running through there. Well, there's a massive utility easement there. So mm-hmm. underneath the utilities, you're never going to build anything. Right. Right. But on either side of that utility easement, it's a high probability there's a private landowner there and it's a high probability that's either R1 and at some point in time, they're going to come forward and say, look, we want to assemble all these properties into a single ownership and rezone it for something like R4. So what's R4? Well, that would be like Cabazon. Okay. Okay. And the area I live in is R4. So it's much smaller lots. Okay. But there's also R6 in Cabazon and that's that gated townhome community. Mm, yeah. Okay. There's they R- went up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there's R6 in Cabazon. That's the senior care facility that's right there. There's conditional use where the hospital is. Mm-hmm. See, so these are the different things. And what you do when you're putting in a master plan, you're trying to look at all of these components and fit them together like a puzzle and make sure that there's services provided and so on and so forth in an area that kind of builds it out in a more or less in a holistic and symbiotic manner. What I encourage everybody to do when it comes to zoning, this always comes to be a contentious issue, especially if something's changing in your area. The best way to look at it is go see what the zoning is. Now, I will say this, there's a difference between a zoning action and a site plan. And that's, if it's already zoned and it's what we call SU, special use, under the special use requirement, the governing body has to have the final look at the site plan, okay? Now, if the site plan complies with the zoning, there is no legal reason to turn it down. And I, a lot of people think that, oh, well, the governing body is going to have the final say on this and we get to vote it down. This was like the car wash. We had no reason to vote it down because it was compliant with the zoning. It was actually a listed feature in the entitlements that you could build a car wash here, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so when they bought the property, they literally said, one of the things we can do with this property is build a car wash. And that's why they bought the property, because that was very specifically listed. Now, let's say you bought your property up there that's M1 and you put your tower up there and you come and you bring the site plan to the governing body. And the governing body says, well, we understand you bought that property, Derek, but we don't like towers in our city. So we're going to remove that entitlement from that property. That is called eminent domain. Now, we didn't take your property, but we took your property rights. Yeah, so I can't do what I bought it for. Right. That's a government taking of property. That is not legal. <laughs> so, okay. okay. It's That's just, good to know. It's not legal. Mine's bro. already been approved, so right. I'm okay. Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, yeah. I no, like I know using what you're your saying. property because it, you're, you're right here yeah. and you can speak to sure, it. Sure. But I, just so people know, that the city has already approved us putting the tower Correct. there. Correct. The, the city approved it, not the governing body, because the zoning and the entitlements were already there. Right. Well, we planning and zoning approved the site plan the site plan correct for a tower to go there and there's also two other cell towers right near there across the street 
So Correct. that's kind of like Tower City in Rio Rancho. But your particular property is not going to have to come to the governing body. Now, where we would have jurisdiction is, it, let's say you wanted to change the zoning. Mm-hmm. So planning and zoning would have to give their recommendation first off, and they'd either recommend yes or no. And then it would come up to the governing body, regardless of what planning and zoning says on zoning, is that planning and zoning says yes or no. Even if they say yes, it still has to go to the governing body. Now, let's say that somebody wanted to stick a car wash in the middle of a neighborhood and they wanted to change it from R1 or R4 to C1. I'm going to tell you the governing body is most likely going to say no to that because uh, you'd have a really strong argument that that was another illegal process called spot zoning. And spot zoning is typically done when somebody wants to put somewhere something somewhere that it just doesn't fit. Yeah. You go back to that old song uh, from, I think it was the electric company. One of these things is not like the other. One yes. of these things just doesn't belong. <laughs> uh-huh. Right. So you, you try to find that blend of how things are going to happen. But you do want a diversity of housing. So when you're in an area of housing, I know some folks have said, well, if you go from R1 to R6, there needs to be a buffer. Well, not necessarily. It depends on how you laid out the master plan. It depends on what kind of diversity of housing you're looking for. Because when you look at Cabazon, you have townhomes right in the middle of your single family detached. And then you have multifamily right on the south end that backs up to single family detached. And those are very closely connected. And I know we say, well, that's multifamily. Yes, it's the senior retirement facility. Multifamily is multifamily. Mm-hmm. You've got a building there with a lot of occupants, right? So when you look at those things, and I know some people say, well, that's different. Well, no, it's the same. <laughs> it is, the zoning is the same. And so those are the things. The difference between that one is it's they have care facilities there and different things like that that might require some certifications under medical licensure, something to that degree. Right. But all of these things get very complicated. They get very convoluted. But the best way to look at something is if you wonder, hey, I wonder what that lot is right next to me that's vacant. It's been vacant for a long time. Well, if you're in Unit 16, which is the old Rio Rancho States, there's still some vacant lots in there. It's most likely that they're all R1. Mm-hmm. That's most likely. You're not going to be able to put an ulcer there. No, not at all. <laughs> but if you see a, a vacant piece of property that's on a, what we call a hard corner, for example, the vacant piece of property at Westside and Unser. Well, that's C1. That is C1. And you have to go and look at what is allowable under C1. And I don't think people realize what you can put on a C1 property without governing body approval. All you need to do is submit a site plan. And it's called going straight to permit because it's already been pre-approved. It doesn't need another approval. So you don't go in and take your land rights and then 10 years later have to come back and reestablish those land rights. Those land rights were established once and you paid for them and there they are. C1, you can do auto repair. You can do bakeries. You can do banks. You can do churches. You can do clubhouses. You can do a day spa. You can do a drive-in or drive-through window restaurants and convenience stores. You can do gasoline service stations, convenience stores, and car washes right there. Hospitals, hotel, motel, manager, caretaker, resident uses with structures, medical complexes, professional offices, nursery schools, daycares, nursing homes, office, office buildings, offset press printing, outside storage, park and ride facilities, parking lots, garages, parks, recreational. You can do permanent outdoor sales displays, 
public facilities, public utilities, electric facilities, repair shops. When you talk about this, the big one is the retail component when you look at this, like repair shops, electrical, radio, television, appliance, residential uses. This is an important one that a lot of people don't realize here in Rio Rancho. If it's C1, commercial one, residential uses as secondary use or above the first floor, provided that the density does not exceed 50 dwelling units per acre. So what does that mean? Have you ever been in San Francisco where, or in a city where they had retail shops on the ground right, floor upstairs, and yeah. apartments all the way up? Yeah. Now, my son lives in a really beautiful community called El Dorado Hills over in California. And you walk down their little main street, and that's what they have, is they have shops on the ground floor, okay, and then apartments above that. And they're gorgeous, really. Oh, yeah. But in a C1 commercial area... As long as that ground floor is some sort of commercial retail component, then everything above it, four stories up from there, so you've got a five-story building at this point in time, can be apartments. So a lot of folks don't realize that C1 has this component. As long as it's commercial on the ground floor. So what is commercial? Well, it can be a sales center. It can be a convenience store. When I was over in Hawaii, there's a lot of stores where they're on the ground level there and they're out on the street and then all the dwelling units are right up above them and people come downstairs and that's where they shop and then they go back upstairs. If I owned one of those, I'd want to live upstairs. I would just walk downstairs and go to work, you know? Right. So. So those are the things that you have to look for. And so I just wanted to give this quick update because we've seen a lot of activity. Things in Rio Rancho are booming and we're starting to have people look at land that has sat there vacant. For a long time. And I, once again, I call it undeveloped. And so it's not open space because there is a technical definition in our zoning right. for open space. And if it's zoned open spacing, you pretty much can't build anything on it, right? Other than a park and different things. There are a few things you can do, but pretty much it's as limited as it goes, right? But when you look at commercial property, when you look at R6, when you look at R4, and you look at these different zoning types, if the property's already zoned, There's really nothing you can do about that unless the applicant is willing to what we call downzone it. So, for example, if you see those really nice little townhomes that they're building along uh, Metal Lark, as you go down Sarah Mm -hmm. and they're on Metal Lark right there. Yeah. Well, the folks that are building those came in and they applied to buy the property just to the north of that. There's a vacant parcel there. And this is all public record. You can go look at the video of this. It's online because it was in a governing body meeting. So I'm not saying anything that wasn't out there and in the open, right? Those townhomes have been so popular that they've sold them so rapidly, so quickly that they wanted to go ahead and acquire the property just to the north and build some more. Okay. So there's some folks that live just up above there that they're like, hey, we really don't want that to be built. And we had a citizen that came out and said, I'm really concerned that if you build these here, you're going to completely block my view of Albuquerque altogether, going back to the whole view scenario. Now, in this particular case, I pointed out that this particular property was zoned M1. Now, in manufacturing, you can build a warehouse that's up to 75 feet tall. Now, these townhomes were going to be about 28 feet tall. All right. Mm -hmm. So... I just pointed out the fact that this was a substantial down zone. Now, they were going from M1 to R6. So R6, you could still do a 75-foot building, right? And apartments, you still could do that under R6. 
But to get to the density of townhomes, you have to be in R6 zoning. You can't be in any other zoning. So even townhomes for the density, it has to be zoned R6. So they asked for R6. Well, yes, it could have been the same height. Their site plan indicated that they were going to keep it at 28 foot. So I thought that that was a really good concession to the fact that one day there wouldn't be a big, huge five-story warehouse. And let me give you an idea of what could have gone there if that had happened. And this is just an idea. Have you seen that five-story storage unit along I-25 as you go south just past uh, Alexander? It's that inside self-storage building. Mm -hmm. It's right Mm -hmm. by the, and it's got the windows out there. And it's like five or six stories. And it's a big, tall storage building. Well, you could build something like that on that M1 property and go that high. It's generally restricted to 50 feet in Rio Rancho, but you can apply for a variance that takes you up to 75 feet. But still, even 50 feet would be a massive thing there. Right, right. So you could do a self-storage unit there. That's like a five-story building. It is, five-story building, exactly, that would go up right there, and that would be nested between townhomes and R1 R1, single homes, right? So that would look really out of place there. So moving that from M1 to R6 actually made a lot of sense. Yeah. Because, once again, it wasn't open space. It was zoned M1, so it could have been a manufacturing facility that was put there, right? Yeah. So this made sense to go ahead and finish that out as being some form of residential. If it was going to get built out, it's going to look better being built out as residence as opposed to a big old building sitting on the side of the hill there. And being right next to Metal Arc like that, it would not have looked in place at all. So those are the things that we deal with, and those are the decisions. But in this particular case, they were really asking for a down zone and that was the property owner that was, they were buying the property and they were willingly giving up property rights by rezoning it down to a lesser use. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's when those property rights get abandoned and they're taken out of there and it's a new zone now. And now you have to comply with the zoning that you've asked for. Okay. How about that? I've a overload of information yes. and people have probably been bored to tears listening <laughs> to this today. I just want to make sure that we're being out there, we're kind of putting information out there, and we're doing what we can to inform as many people as possible on the stuff that's going on in the city of Rio Rancho, because there's a lot of stuff being built right now. Things are moving really fast, and things are moving at really at the speed of light when it comes to city stuff. <laughs> So anyway, hey, I know we've got our sign off here. I want to thank everybody for bearing with us. I want to remind everybody St. Baldrick's is coming up on March 12th. It's going to be at the Rio Rancho Event Center. It's going to run from 12 to 4. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Come out, support a great organization that raises money to fight childhood cancer. And I'm going to be out there. And who knows, maybe I'll go back uh, this year. I'll do the rappel from the roof thing again oh that's so right. yes I remember that. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see about that but derek if anybody has any questions they can always email you at info at kdsk.com and we will try to answer your question on the radio and then we'll go from there but that being said derek everybody go out there have a great day and god bless